Blog Talk Radio. And welcome aboard. My name's Tom Marquis El Presidente. I am on loan from God for the next two hours to guide you through this crazy world of sports. And it is getting mad. It's called March Madness for a reason. Standing by the Bounds Green Room is Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend, Indiana, Notre Dame country. Also, Mo from the BS Sports Show. We're going to be breaking down the first half hour selection Sunday tomorrow. Who's on the bubble? Whose bubble gets popped? What's going to happen? You always got to have two brackets on hand. You got your real bracket, like, hey, this makes sense. And then you've got your other bracket, which is, hey, bubble buster, Cinderella buster. And a lot of times those brackets are the ones that pay off. So we're going to be talking about bracketology with Matthew Embry and Mo from the BS Sports Show. And then we'll carry on our conversation with Matthew Embry, who's also our official IndyCar contributor. We're going to talk about some IndyCar. In the second hour, Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest joins us, talking some NASCAR. And then at 10.30, or the last segment of the show, it is NFL Free Agency Madness. we got super fan Adam Gentleman from the Browns Superfan. Yeah, we, we don't even need to have an NFL season. We just need to go ahead and give the Super Bowl to the in, to the Cleveland Browns. Anyway, my name is Tom Mark with El Presidente, 917-898-516. My digits will be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. 
It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Presidente, and also welcome to all of our affiliate radio stations across this United States of America. We are joined live now by Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend Country, and Mo from the BS Sports Show. Mo, how is you, sir? I am. Uh, I'm alive. <laughs> You're alive, huh? Hey, is it too early to be out there with your Traeger and smoking some meat? No, I'll be doing it too early. Bit. Hey, sweet. And also joining us, Matthew Embry, WSBT, up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor, and also uh, lends his knowledge of college basketball uh, to the show. Guys, it is uh, that time. Matthew, we'll start with you. It is that time. We've got a lot of people on the bubble. We're going to get to Mo here in just a minute. I know, Mo, you've got a hard stop with us, so we're going to go hard and fast for the next 15 minutes about what I'm good for anyway. Mo, you know that. But anyway, no, not literally you don't know that. That came out totally wrong. That's like talking about intercourse Pennsylvania, but that's a whole other conversation. Go ahead, Matthew. How are you, sir? Well, I think let's get right to the business right now as far as what is at stake today. Obviously, uh, the bubble for those teams trying to get in on on the cut line got shrunk again yesterday. VCU lost. Also... We saw a couple other teams have close shaves. So I think looking to tonight, uh, Tom, I'd say the big games to keep an eye on are the MAC championship, the Pac-12 championship, and also the Mountain West because you have three possibilities there where if Oregon upsets Washington and steals a bid, 
you also have a situation where uh, we know the A-10 is going to have a bid stealer. Mac looks very vulnerable. This is a Bowling Green team that's beaten Buffalo earlier this season, so they certainly have the capabilities to knock them off. And then you look in that uh, Mountain West game, uh, Utah State, I'd say, is solidly in win this game or not, but uh, San Diego State wins. Uh, that makes three teams in the Mountain West, certainly. That knocks someone out of the cut line. And uh, I don't know about you, Mo, but uh, I think the big question on my mind tomorrow is, what is uh, the committee going to do with this net situation and with the bubble and these power, weak power conference teams left across the board? I mean, seriously, we could have a Texas team get an at-large bid with a 16-16 and 16 record. I mean, that would be a scary precedent if that happens. And then, of course, the other question in my mind is, what does the committee do with teams like Belmont, uh, Greensboro, uh, Furman, all these mid-majors that have a ton of wins on their resume, but not necessarily quality wins, do they get the benefit of the doubt, or do they get omitted once again like they were with the old RPI? Go ahead, Mo. And also, you know, you talk about San Diego State and the Aztecs. They're, they're doing they're in exactly the same position this year that they were last year. Uh, and we'll see what happens with the Aztecs. We'll talk a little bit more about them as as the games go along, and we'll see what happens with Selection Sunday. Uh, but Mo, you, you, you hear Matt? Matt brings up some very good uh, uh, concerns regarding Selection Sunday. We always like to debate this on Saturday before Selection Sunday. What what's about to happen? But there are. But Matt's right. We we are establishing a precedent here that do we want to go down that road, Mo? I, I don't know if it's correct to go down that road, but I think that's what happens again because I think the NCAA likes the Cinderella stories of some of these smaller colleges, some of these mid-majors, but they don't like too many because they still like the big teams that bring television ratings. You know, so you look at teams like Ohio State and Indiana – Ohio State has beat Indiana twice, beat them in the Big Ten tournament. But if you look at their quality wins, Ohio State, it's hard to point them out. But when you look at Indiana's quality wins, they do have a few more. Even though that team was terrible throughout the better part of the Big Ten season, when it comes down to quality wins and uh, and strength of schedule, IU, I think, has got Ohio State beat. But I think Ohio State's probably going to sneak into the tournament. They're probably a 12 seed. Uh, but, you know, some of these teams like St. Mary's, where they knock off Gonzaga, you know, Matthew's right, that does hurt for some of these bigger teams. Do we want to see a 16 and 16 Texas team play? I don't, but I think the NCAA, when it comes down to television ratings, I think that they do. I think if you could tell the NCAA right now, hey, it's going to work out to where North Carolina plays Duke in the national championship game, I think they would sign up for that right now. It's fun to watch these uh, these uh, Cinderella teams, but at the end of the day, for the NCAA, let's be honest, it has been and always will be about money, and that equals that comes from television ratings. Well, you're, you make a valid point. It is always about money. Uh, but we, we, we look back to the shoe explosion, and we look at, at – uh, we'll start with you, Mo. We look at Duke's decision against North Carolina uh, to play uh, my shoe boy. Ha! Brain fart, but you know exactly who I'm talking about. Ozaire or Zier? Zion. How do you say that? There you go. Zion. Zion. There we go. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for the bailout. But they beat North Carolina 74-73. Here, here's the thing. I, I'm, I'm wondering. I got a, my tinfoil hat on here with Duke and Zion. I, I, I just, I don't think they're going to be a number one seed. But at the same time, you're right, Mo. Uh, we'll start with you, Mo. What do, you, what do you think about this Zion conspiracy about them? Let's let him rest a little bit. Air quotes. Play 
against North Carolina and then not play against North Carolina, and then now they're going to maybe have to turn around and play them again. What are your thoughts, Mo? Well, I think I think honestly it came down to where Coach K let Zion decide what he wanted to do because you know we could have had a Nick Bosa situation like we did at Ohio State in football. The guy is the captain of the team and said, "Yeah, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to wait for the uh, for the draft." And Zion very well could have done it, and I wouldn't have been upset if he did. But you know, this is a kid I think is enjoying himself. He's having a good time, and I think the decision came down to what he wanted to do. He felt uh, he felt like he was back at 100, percent and uh, he wanted to get out there and play basketball. And let's be honest, Duke needed him. I think one thing this has done in Zion's absence is, is to me, uh, in my eyes, hurt the draft stock of a couple of those other guys in Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett who couldn't pick up the slack and, uh, and win basketball games or win them you know, against bad teams very closely. But, you know, it's been a while since we've had a guy like Zion Williamson that was the talk of college basketball. Uh, you know, so I'm not a Duke fan whatsoever, but, you know, I want to see Zion Williamson continue to play. Uh, as much as I can see him play for Duke this year, he's the guy that brings eyeballs to television sets. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's any conspiracy. I honestly believe it came down to Zion's decision. Matt, let's go over to you. Let's play the homer card. I know you're up at WSBT in South Bend. Uh, Notre Dame country will give you a little, uh, a few moments there to talk about the, the, the fall from uh, glory, if you will, with Notre Dame. Uh, but also we look at the loss to, Men, uh, for, to Purdue to Minnesota yesterday that could play a big impact in the selections decision especially when it comes to letting IU into the game now I think that they're still on the board I don't think that they've been erased from the board and as Mo pointed out earlier you got those quad one wins uh, those resume wins if you will you start the season off at 12 and 2 or whatever it was you get those quad one wins that helps you out now now they need that those are your your get out of jail free cards talk with us a little bit about the impact of the loss of uh, Purdue yesterday. What happened with the Irish, and does Indiana get in? I mean, I think it's a, a coin toss at this point. It's 50-50, but I think Indiana gets in. Go ahead, Matt. I'd say absolutely no, no way that they deserve to be in. This, again, is a team that has four games under five hundred, and that, again, would set a precedent that maybe you can slack off a little bit in the big in the regular season and still get in the tournament. I think that's a dangerous slope to take uh, to get in. I'd say Ohio State, I think also. Actually, I think if you ask me, Ohio State has a worse resume. I would be very surprised if either of those teams gets called into this field. The only reason they would get in is because the power conference bubble is so weak and also, they have no interest in putting in these mid-majors to take the last spots. That's the only way I could see either one of those two teams getting in. Now, as far as Purdue, I think they hurt themselves. I would be very surprised if Purdue gets a top-16 seed on Sunday. I really don't think they deserve it now. They have looked very var- marginal. And, again, what happened? they are relying too much on Carson Edwards to carry the team. I mean, one player – is not enough to carry the whole team. I mean, yes, I mean, you got Zion Williamson at Duke, but you still have Cam Barrett and the other two other major freshmen there to carry some of the slack for them, supposedly. And Purdue just doesn't have that. I mean, Matt Harms is not enough of a scoring threat inside to take the pressure off of Edwards, and then you need someone else well to step forward. Ryan Klein hasn't done that. Grady Eifert hasn't done that. Purdue right now, I think if you look at teams that are vulnerable to a first-round upset right now, Tom, Purdue's name is sitting out there like a sore thumb right now. I would not be surprised to see a double-digit seed advance 
on Thursday or Friday at Purdue's expense next week. Mo, let's go on over to you. And also, let's talk a little bit about this huge win from Florida State last night against Virginia. I tell you what, they call it March Madness for a reason because it makes everybody go crazy. I'm going to, I know we got a hard stop with you, Mo, so go ahead and, and just round off uh, Selection Sunday. What do you think is going to happen? Give us your predictions, give us your bracketology the best you can before you have to run away, sir. Go ahead. Well, like Matthew said, I think we're going to see a lot of, of very marginal to bad, uh, you know, power conference teams make it in there just because, you know, the NCAA, I think the selection committee feels like they do enough with letting uh, automatic bids to smaller conferences. They'll, they'll throw maybe one or two, three of uh, the uh, mid-majors maybe into some uh, at-large bids. But at the end of the day, they want to see the big team, big-name teams with the big fan bases uh, in this tournament. And I think, uh, you know, that's what's going to happen. We're going to see a lot of marginal basketball uh, in this first couple of rounds, we could see a lot of these higher seeds advance against these, uh, these, you know, these bad, uh, these bad teams for these power conferences. You know, and yesterday with Purdue losing, it's another big game where uh, Matt Painter's teams fall apart. You know, he's he's not been good at big games at all. Uh, you know, watch this Purdue fan base just talk about how they hate the, you know, the big games because Matt Painter seems to fail in most of them. So, uh, it, for the first year though, it should be a very interesting. Uh, selection Sunday for a while because it's going to be interesting to see uh, a lot of these uh, bad teams uh, from the big conferences see what they, what happens with them and if they make it in. You know, you look at the Big Ten that was so strong early on. Michigan has played terribly down the stretch. Purdue hasn't played well. Uh, Michigan State gets knocked off by Indiana twice. Uh, you know, Wisconsin has faltered in some big games. So uh, as tough as the Big Ten looked early on, uh, they've uh, they've really hit the skids here towards the end of the season. So it'll be interesting to see what happens tomorrow. Mo for the BS4 show. Mo, I know you got to roll because uh, you got to get on the air on your own show. But hey, real quickly here, we're going to have Adam Jevitt on a uh, super bra- uh, fan, Browns fan on at the at the end of the show with Ed Kratz, uh, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and our official NFL contributor. But my God, did we just not have an NFL season? Did we just give the Super Bowl to the uh, Cleveland Browns the trade? Uh, Odell Beckman Jr. from the Giants to the Browns. Pretty huge news. And then, of course, we, we got Antonio Brown and, and Bell to the Jets. Are you kidding me? I'm scratching my balls. I don't know which one to scratch here, but I'm trying to figure it all out. But at the same time, the winner of the free agency, winner, winner, chicken dinner, is the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I mean, on paper, it looks like it. Hopefully that this team will be able to come together and gel. You've got pretty two diva-ish right, receivers and Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. Uh, you know, Baker, we've got to hope that he doesn't hit a sophomore slump. Uh, but, you know, it, I think the thing for them will be to, you know, kind of just make it through these first eight games. And, and then imagine when Kareem Hunt hits the field along with Nick Chubb, too. It's going to be a pretty high-powered offense. And you add in the tight end, David Njoku, who's had a pretty good couple of seasons. Uh, this uh, this team looks pretty fun. Then you add, uh, you know, Olivier Vernon on that opposite side of Miles Garrett. Uh, and the defense, you know, it looks pretty damn good as well. So, uh, John Dorsey's had a lot of success drafting players. You know, he's the guy that brought in Tariq Hill and, uh, and Pat Mahomes and, and Kareem Hunt to Kansas City. So, yeah, you know, he's got the draft coming up on top of it. So this Cleveland team should be pretty stacked, but I don't think that they're ready to necessarily win uh, and go that far yet. Could they be a playoff team? I think so. Uh, but I think it's going to take a year or two of this team to really get, the, get it together before they move forward. But I think they've definitely evolved themselves. Uh, you know, to the top of their division by uh, – there's no way I think that anybody else is even, even close to this point. 
Mo for the BS Sports Show joins us. Thank you so much, sir, for joining us uh, for a brief window today, sir. Always a pleasure. Where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Uh, on Twitter at Mo Radio Show, or you can uh, download the app 931thefan, uh, or find us on 931thefan.com. All right, sounds good, buddy. You have yourself a good show. Talk to you soon. Okay. Mo from the BS Sports Show joins us talking some uh, bracketology. March Madness Selection Sunday is tomorrow. It is here, Matthew. Matthew, not only do you do the power grid, we're going to get into that because I know you changed uh, some rankings around with IndyCar. We're going to get into that in the next half hour while we still have you. But let's start with you, your bracketology 2019. Well, let's take a look right now at those. We talk about the possibility for upsets. Look at all the potential landmines that are currently out there. This is according to Joe Ludardi's uh, bit group. And keep in mind, some of these are not set in stone, but look at the teams on the 12 line that are sitting at 12, 13, 14, even the 15 line that are sitting out there, Tom. I mean, you got teams like, for instance, Liberty, uh, Murray State, Davidson, Vermont, could even be UMBC. Of course, remember what UMBC did last year to Virginia. Virginia knows well. Uh, Old Dominion, Georgia State is out sitting out there. New Mexico State, um, St. Mary's, Northern Kentucky, uh, even a dangerous team like a Colgate or a Bradley is sitting out there. Uh, there are a ton of potential landmines out there. And again, like I said, for these brackets, for filling out your brackets. You have to be aware that if you take a team that's coming in marginally, they are susceptible to a loss on Thursday and Friday, and you look at all those teams on that, even some teams that I didn't mention in there, even like a Northeastern or UC Irvine, and even like the Tommy Amaker's Harvard team, uh, any of those teams that are sitting out there are primed to possibly pull off a surprise here in this tournament, so the blow-up of the brackets that happened last year, I mean, a lot of people blamed it on the investigation stuff like that. I just blame it on the fact that the field is a lot tighter than people think it is, and I think it's tight again, if not even more tighter this year. I would not be surprised, again, if we have another Thursday-Friday Armageddon where several top seeds fall. Now, Brandon, I'm not going to say a 60 is going to beat a 1, but I, I don't think it's out of the question that we could possibly see a 14 or a 15 advance uh, out of round number one uh, once again here in 2019. Well, let's kind of uh, let's kind of I, I, I put together a you know like you know how we do mock drafts. I put together kind of a mock bracket and with my top four. So we'll start here over in the East. I got Virginia going number one in the East, even though they did lose uh, to Florida State yesterday. That was huge, huge, and that. That might make some weight, but I still think they get out with the number one. They're going to end up playing Iowa or Ole Miss. What are your thoughts in the first round? Uh, I think right now, North Dakota State and Norfolk State, even though Norfolk State surprised Virginia several years ago, I don't think either one is going to knock out Virginia. And I think Virginia and Tony better going to say, well aware, let's take this game seriously this time. So I don't see them losing for the second year in a row. Uh, and if uh, Lunardi's bracket holds out, uh, that Iowa Old Miss game is a toss-up. But if I would say, based on recent uh, play, I would say Iowa narrowly over Old Miss in that game. And then I'd say Virginia easily wins that second game, again, assuming Virginia has their act together. 
Well, we're going Again, to assume that Virginia... last year because remember I had Virginia going all the way last year and it didn't work out that way. No, you know it never worked. It, we don't. I tell you what, that's why uh, uh, Warren Buffett's willing to pay a million dollars for the perfect bracket because it just almost never happens. Of course, they'll probably end up playing uh, North Dakota State or Norfolk State in that first round, and then we go on over to San Jose in the East. You, you're going to have to look at uh, uh, Villanova being the 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 spot there, and then of course Kansas State and Vermont probably uh, playing there as well. That's the classic 5-12 matchup. Villanova is coming in, and I think they do not deserve to be a five seed, even if they do win the Big East Championship. I think Liberty is going – if Liberty – that matchup does come to fruition, I think Liberty beats Villanova. And Kansas State, Bruce Weber, again, another team that's looked vulnerable. I would not also be surprised if that's Vermont, that's UMBC, whoever wins that America East Championship, which it could be the Retrievers because they're a solid team, as are the Catamounts. Uh, that's another team, Kansas State, that I think also is very vulnerable. A lot of people have Purdue at number three. You, you mentioned earlier that they may have lost some stock yesterday with their loss to, to Minnesota, but uh, a lot of people think that in the first round they'll be playing Old Dominion in the uh, out in Hartford, Connecticut. That is a very bad matchup for Purdue. That is a very bad matchup for Purdue. Old Dominion has a history of pulling off upsets. They have done it for years. They have been the ultimate bracket buster. Again, Matt Painter's got to bring his get his teams act together because this is a type of team in Old Dominion that plays every year they time they get in the tournament like they have nothing to lose, no pressure. This is a game again that is primed to see an upset. We're going to move on down to Jacksonville, and a lot of people will think that you've got Louisville, Oklahoma, and Tennessee, and. Uh, Albany, Albiel Christian, <laughs> which Abilene would be one of those teams. They maybe it's a Loyola Chicago. We don't know yet. But uh, what are your thoughts? Oklahoma does not deserve to be a ten. In fact, I think Oklahoma, for some reason, the committee is overvaluing the Big Twelve because I mean they could have eight. To, if Texas somehow gets in at sixteen and sixteen, that would be eight of the ten teams in the pack of the or the Big Twelve to get in. Uh, Louisville, I think, easily wins that game. Tennessee, Tennessee still has a shot to get to the one. If they could beat Kentucky today and get that auto bid, the SEC, I think Mark or Rick Barge and company, they have a very strong argument for them to get a number one seed possibly in that Midwest bracket over Kentucky. Well, let's go ahead and get to the last bracket bracket. And that's the Midwest uh, Columbus. A lot of people think we number one seed again here, Kentucky uh, will be playing Iona and Syracuse and Baylor. Uh, looks like that might be the matchup again, predictions, but looks like that might be the matchup there in, in the Midwest bracket. If I were John Calipari, I would not want Iona. Tim Clues Club has been a team that's come very close to pull off surprises before. Uh, of the 16 teams that are potentially down there, that's not the one I would want. I want someone like, like I said, Gardner-Webb, Fairleigh Dickerson, North Dakota State, Prairie View, Gardner-Webb. Uh, Iona would definitely not be the one. Now, granted, I think Kentucky would still win that game, but Iona would give them a run for a while. And uh, Syracuse, another team that's on the wrong side that I think that's getting overvalued because the ACC is getting so many teams near the top of, you know, the S-curve. 
I think Baylor easily wins that game, and that's normally not expected in an 8-9 matchup, a blowout, but I think Baylor handily beats Syracuse. Go over to San Jose, uh, Virginia Tech, uh, New Mexico State, and then Wisconsin and UC Irvine. Again, just predictions, but that's the thought. New Mexico State, I think, is going to go overlooked. I mean, yes, the Blackhawks is extremely weak, but they have a very strong record with, I think, 27-28 victories. Um, I think right now a lot of teams that are around that five and that four range would love to see New Mexico State lose in that WAC final and not get the automatic bid because I don't think they have a strong enough uh, say to get into the tournament as an at-large. Wisconsin, I think, is another team that's going to go overlooked because of some of the bad losses, like the loss to Indiana they suffered, but I still think they are a potential threat to get to the second weekend. Now, whether they can get uh, to a challenge to a team like Kentucky, I don't know about, but uh, I think Wisconsin uh, advances out of that group uh, with a uh, little difficulty. Uh, Virginia Tech, again, another very hot or cold team, I think, that's being aided by the big three in the ACC, where their seed is getting a little bit higher than it should be uh, based on that performance of those top three teams of Virginia, Duke, and North Carolina. Run a little bit behind time. We're going to get caught up on IndyCar here in just a moment, but I want to get uh, through this bracketology because Selection Sunday uh, is tomorrow. Talking with Matthew Embry from WSBT uh, up in South Bend, also our official IndyCar contributor. So we're, we're going to move on down uh, to the Tulsa matchup. Uh, Maryland had a big loss on Thursday night. I don't know if that's going to impact their their what people will think will be the number six seed against and. and uh, anticipations would be that they play Florida and then of course number three Houston against number 14 Harvard is the thought Houston I still think is vulnerable they've suffered some questionable losses and I think if they would happen to lose to Memphis today I think that would put them even more in question against a Harvard school that could be potentially dangerous or any of those teams that are left in the Ivy League I think are a threat Florida, I think, is a hot team right now. They just knocked off uh, LSU in the SEC tournament, the number one seed in that conference tournament. I think uh, if they do play a team like Maryland, I think Florida has a good chance to win that ball game. Over in Columbus, we talked about this game earlier. Buffalo uh, had a a big win, and we look at them now. A lot of people think they're going to be matched up against the number 10 uh, VCU, and then you've got North Carolina, number two seed, a lot of people believe and number uh, 15, uh, Colgate, not the Bryce Trujillo school, but a school. <laughs> Colgate's not a team to laugh at, but I just don't think they're going to challenge North Carolina. And VCU is on the downward slide, but again, so is Buffalo. If Buffalo somehow would lose to uh, Bowling Green, I'd say that would put the, the Bulls in question. But to that 7-10 matchup with two teams, I think that are maybe getting a little bit overvalued right now as far as the bracketology is concerned. Uh, that's a toss-up, certainly. Maybe Buffalo sneaks, sneaks away with that victory. But again, Buffalo looked very suspect against Central Michigan last night, Tom. All right, let's go out west to Anaheim, the other number one team, Gonzaga Bulldogs. Here we go again with Gonzaga. Uh, but it looks like they'll probably play one of the play-in teams, uh, Fairly uh, Dickinson or Prairie View A&M. And then, of course, you've got uh, – I'm sorry, Anaheim. I said West, Anaheim, but I meant Salt Lake City, but same city. I'm just kidding. But what's interesting to me is this possible 8-9 matchup between Washington and Seton Hall. That, to me, is one of those – 
almost a, uh, even though it's an eight and nine, it's almost a bracket buster game. Washington looks really, really bad against, I would say, a mediocre at best Oregon team. This is not the Oregon team that got to the Final Four under with Dana Allman at the controls a couple of years ago. Uh, this is not, that was a very ugly loss for Washington. And granted, against a weak Pac 12 team, I'd say, in fact, if not for some luck, I would say the Pac 12 only deserves one bid. But the fact is, they're going to get two, whether it's Arizona State. Or whether it's Oregon getting in or Arizona State, I don't think they deserve two teams that are going to get two in somehow, some way. Seton Hall is trending upward. I would say in this one, uh, even though Seton Hall is the ninth seed, I'd say they would be the favorite uh, over Washington looking into the end of that matchup. But again, though, I think Gonzaga is the tough team to beat, even with the loss uh, against St. Mary's. I think that's the wake-up call they needed, that they're not the invincible team they thought they are in their head. And I think that will mean uh, that they will be a threat once we get to the second weekend as well. So here's another interesting matchup over in Hartford. You got uh, the the Tigers against the Racers, Murray State. Let's not forget the Murray State from a few years ago. Now that doesn't mean that that I think they could beat Auburn, but I think they can beat Auburn. Well, you talk about that, uh, probably one of the players that could be a lottery pick in the NBA draft, but John Morant uh, scored 36 points to beat Belmont to get him that automatic bid for the Racers. And I, I still do not see what the committee and people like Charles Barkley see with this Auburn team. This Auburn team, yes, Bruce Pearl is a great coach, but this team in the big games, just can't get it done. I, I, I just don't see how you can give a team like Auburn a five seed. Now, granted, I don't know if that's because Kentucky and Tennessee are that good, and that raises the level of the conference based in the eyes of the committee. But no way is this five, is Auburn a number five seed. I would say more realistically, they belong on the six or seven line. This is a team that definitely is being overseeded and uh, I think they are primed for an upset against a Murray State team that is trending. And I think you see on that also line, you see Davidson sitting there. Now, granted, I don't know if they're going to pull off the surprise on Florida State, who is one of the trending teams in the tournament right now, as you mentioned earlier. But uh, Davidson, another team with a history of pulling off upsets, if Bob McKillop uh, knows uh, how to get a team, a mid-major team, ready to be a threat in the NCAA tournament's first opening rounds. And so Ohio State appears to sneak in above IU. Still not sure completely that IU is not going to get in. But one would think that if they, if Ohio State gets in, their first matchup is going to be Iowa State. And then, of course, you've got a number three LSU and number 14 Georgia State. Look for another bracket buster there. Georgia State can definitely beat the Tigers. Well, certainly our buddy from the old IUPUI days, Ron Hunter, uh, certainly uh, has a team that's capable of pulling a surprise. LSU looked very, very uh, average against, a, granted, a, an improving Florida team, but I would say not a great Florida team. And uh, beyond that, uh, you look at their, among the other ones, uh, Ohio State, I've I got to say, if Ohio State gets in, I think they are a first-four matchup team that's ready to head to Dayton. Uh, I just do not see – a resume out there, Tom, and I don't know about you, but I just do not see a team that is deserving of a first-round buy or an opening-round buy out of that first four. I think it's going to be very close for Ohio State. I think they will get in, but I think this is a team that does not deserve a buy 
into the main draw for Thursday and Friday. I think this is a team that deserves to be playing in Dayton on either Tuesday or Wednesday. Des Moines, uh, number seven, Woodford. Again, the prediction is number seven, Woodford against Utah State. And then you got your number two, Michigan against Montana. Michigan, man, they're good this year. They're really, really good. And uh, certainly they were the number one uh, for the longest time. They'll beat Montana, but let's make no bones about it. Montana State and Michigan is is going to be a, a buzzer-beater game. I think Michigan does it. I think the Big Sky is not quite as good as it has been in previous years. I just don't believe uh, this is a team like to the Weber States and such that have pulled off upsets in the past. I don't think that's a team capable of doing it. It'd be unfortunate if Wofford and Utah State get paired up because I think those are two of the good mid-major teams. But, again, that's what the NCAA seems to do with these tournaments is put the mid-majors against one another in the first round and cancel each other out. But uh, prize that I looked at the records, and Utah State hasn't been in the field since 2011, which considering all the good years they had with Stu Morrell as the coach, that kind of surprises me. But uh, Wofford's had a terrific season, no question about it, in the Southern Conference. And there was, we even talked at one point that the Southern Conference might get as many as three teams into the field. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be a heartbreaker for one of those teams uh, if one of them, if they had to play each other that first round matchup. But uh, two teams, I think, that could make a run of the tournament. Unfortunately, one of them's going to go bye bye the first, first day of the tournament when we get to either Thursday or Friday. I said Montana State. Correction, I meant to just say Montana. Grizzly, let's go yep. on over. Let's go on over to the last number one seed in that. Uh, what a lot of people believe to be Duke. Uh, I'm not so sure they're a number one seed. Definitely a number two seed. We talked about Zion earlier and the conspiracies around there. Uh, uh, the belief would be that they play Garner Webb. And then you got UCF against Minnesota. Again, Minnesota had a big win against Purdue yesterday. So what are your thoughts? I think right now, if I were the committee, I would overlook the losses they suffered with Zion Williams, who's not there. I think in my mind, Duke should be the number one overall seed in this tournament. Uh, There is just not, with Zion at full strength, I don't believe there is a team that can hold a candle to them until – the final four of this tournament, I, I'd be very surprised if they are not the number one overall seed in this field. And then UCF, they've had a terrific year. They've had some good runs uh, as of late to get to this point to where they are now. And uh, like I said with Florida, Minnesota, the surprise of Purdue, I would not be surprised if they pull off another upset today and get to that Big Ten final and possibly even get a higher seed than the nine seed where they're currently projected. You know, here's an interesting game also over in Salt Lake City that a lot of people predict is St. Mary's against Mississippi State. St. Mary's beat Gonzaga. Let me repeat that. St. Mary's beat Gonzaga. And also, that win could have been the single-handed thing that kicked IU out and it keeps them off the board outside of the their loss to Ohio State. But St. Mary's, let's uh, let's not be so quick to say oh well they're just going to be a number 12 seed they're going to be playing Mississippi State let's move on again could be a bracket buster I'd say the same thing for Kansas as well remember they're a team that's also been a first round snoozer I don't know if that's going to happen though against Northeastern but pair them up against say a Vermont the Vermont UMBC or Davidson I'd say they could have a first round problem themselves 
Mississippi State and another team that's backed their way into this tournament that uh, I think is being overvalued because of the strength of those of Kentucky, Tennessee, and the SEC. St. Mary's has come on late. Uh, I don't know if they were necessarily the number two team in the West Coast Conference. I think there's you could make a case that San Francisco, BYU were up there as well. But uh, that's another one of those potential 5-12 uh, upsets uh, right there, 12 beating a 5. Uh, that we could normally see in the NCAA tournament. Surprisingly, we haven't seen it the last two years, but uh, it used to be a prime uh, situation, and I think it could reignite itself uh, in a big way uh, coming up uh, over the next week. But, uh, well, like also, I said, you look at it. Kansas is another team that uh, also cannot uh, take it for granted because, again, we've seen them uh, fall apart in the first round before under Bill Self. Also, you look at a number three and a number 14. You look at Texas Tech Red Raiders against Northern Kentucky. That's a ish game. That's one of those I got to sit there and think about when I make my predictions on my brackets. Because even though you look at Northern Kentucky won't go very far, could be Texas Tech. And that could be one of those scenarios where it may not be a complete bracket buster, but it'll sure make you go, ah, I knew it. I had it in, I had a gut feeling. The Northern Kentucky could beat Texas Tech. So if you're going with the gut, go with Northern Kentucky. I would say Northern Kentucky has a better chance against LSU, Purdue, or Houston. I'd say of the three seeds that are on the list, if you're looking at Joe Lenari's page, uh, Tom, Texas Tech is the strongest of those three seeds. I think, in fact, I think Texas Tech, if they can win the Big 12 champ, or Big 12 out of back bid, I think they have a very good case for a two. Uh, I think right now, uh, if you look at teams that are being underseeded, I think Texas Tech comes to mind at that three line. Unfortunately, Northern Kentucky, I don't believe, could beat them. Nevada, though, I think is vulnerable on that six line, uh, whether it's a playing game team that they get or et cetera. But uh, again, the pressure situations, they buckled against Utah State. They buckled again last night against San Diego State. Those are teams that they should be beating if they are to be believed as one of the top 25 teams in the country. And uh, I just don't see it from uh, this Wolfpack team, another team I think that is could be vulnerable in round one. All right, let's wrap it up here again. Uh, these are all just predictions because Selection Sunday is tomorrow, and, and this is Saturday. So we're just making predictions on bracketology. But we go over to Des Moines. you got the Bearcats of Cincinnati. you got Arizona State, and you got Michigan State against Bradley I don't know if there's any upsets there, but there might be. What are your thoughts? Arizona State, I think, does not deserve a bye into this tournament and the, to the first round. Uh, Bobby Hurley's club, I don't know if it's just because Bobby Hurley went to Duke or whatever the case is. This is not an Arizona State team I think that is worthy of an at-large. Uh, they have lost to, of all teams, Washington State, which is a quad-four loss on their home court earlier this year in the Pac-12 play. They have looked suspect against other teams in the Pac-12. And then they flat out uh, laid an egg against Oregon uh, last night. I just do not see what the committee sees and where Arizona State uh, deserves to be in this field of 68. Uh, Cincinnati, I think, is another team that's being overlooked. I think that could be a threat, just like UCF and uh, Michigan State. Uh, Bradley's a good team from the Missouri Valley, but, again, the matchup just does not say uh, the upset comes here. I think Michigan State uh, makes it to the second weekend. And I tell you what, talk about uh, Sweet 16 matchups. I think a matchup between Texas Tech against Michigan State would be a barn burner for sure. We've been talking with Matthew Embry, Bracketology Selection Sunday is tomorrow. 
And yes, guys, we are getting. I know all of our IndyCar fans are just standing by. Stop talking about basketball. I'm wanting to listen about IndyCar. We're going to get to that right here coming up next. Also with Matthew Embry, we got to recap uh, uh, St. Pete, and we're going to see what's coming up. And we're getting ever so closer to the Indianapolis 500. We're going to take a break. My name is Tom Mark Purcell, Presidente. Myself and Matthew Embry will be right back, right here on the Balance Radio Network. Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything.
All right, welcome back to The Balance. First half hour in the books. Talk with Mo from the BS Sports Show and uh, Matthew Embry, our uh, official uh, IndyCar contributor, but also wears a college basketball hat and helps us out with bracketology. It is Selection Sunday tomorrow, but we're going to move on into IndyCar. NASCAR coming up here in just a few minutes as well. And then at the in in the second hour, we're going to get into some NFL free agency. We're also going to be talking with Adam Genovan and Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, to talk to some NFL. So let's get into the into the IndyCar talk. Matthew, you're our official IndyCar contributor. IndyCar got underway down in St. Pete. Joseph Newgarden gets a good win. Give us a recap and talk with us about what's on the horizon of the NTT IndyCar series. Well, I think one thing we saw is certainly the strategy calls of uh, Roger Penske have certainly have been transferred over quite nicely uh, to Tim Sindrick. A terrific call there uh, when uh, the leader's power, et cetera, got held by Mark Andretti. Uh, Joseph Newgarden stayed out, got the advantage, went on the reds, pulled away, held on for the victory. It, Impressive for Newgarden, who has not been a fan of the St. Joe or the St. Pete layout. I think previously to that, I think he finished no better than ninth with that track. So a terrific result for them. Uh, no changes right now as far as uh, gridatology at this point. I think the top nine stay there, but I think one guy that is getting closer and closer to joining that Firestone Fast Nine for India has got to be Felix Rosenbisk. Uh, led the race for a good chunk of the way. Unfortunately, a poor pit stop cost him a chance to challenge for the victory. Still finished fourth. I think he is a solid uh, number two guy to Scott Dixon uh, that Ganassi did not have a year ago. That just makes them much tougher, I think, with Ganassi, with Dixon trying to defend his title. Now you got two uh, drivers to worry about instead of just one. Uh, I have him as the first guy outside the top nine at this point, to Rosenquist at number 10. And uh, then you look at some of these other names out there. Jack Harvey, I think, is uh, off the bubble now. He is, was at 33. He's now solidly in the field. Colton Herta, I believe now he is getting closer and closer now. If he is at the same level with his Andretti uh, affiliated teams, I think that Harding-Steinberger car could be in the top half of the qualifying uh, order when we get to the first qualifying day uh, in May. What are your thoughts about the rumors of Cosworth? Uh, Of course, uh, co-owner Kevin Caldwell uh, has dismissed rumors that the company is to build an IndyCar engine on behalf of a third OEM uh, for the series of 2021 regulations. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Is there any smoke here? That's something that IndyCar has been wanting for years. Uh, They were disappointed when Lotus uh, was uh, a one-year bust. And uh, obviously Cosworth, uh, as named in the series with uh, Jam Car and Cart for so many years, it'd be nice to see them back in the business. Uh, and certainly Cal Coven has a history, having won the Indianapolis 500 and running a team until he personally and financially couldn't do so. And uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens uh, with this uh, situation. But uh, there are certainly some names out there that have been mentioned. Uh, Porsche has been mentioned, Alfa Romeo, BMW. Granted, they're not. American names, but if they are committed to the series, uh, they certainly are welcome if they're willing to, you know, make the burden of effort as, uh, say, Chevrolet and Honda are, and that certainly will help uh, the number of leases will drop for those two manufacturers, and that may increase uh, their ability to hold more entries and possibly increase the uh, entry list for, you know, not only the full-time series, but also for the Indy 500 even more. 
So uh, what do we know about Ed Jones? Uh, rumor has it that he had a broken leg, I believe. Uh, where, where are we at with him? Broken tibia. Broken finger. Oh, I finger, right now, sorry. The question might, yeah, the question is right now, is he going to be able to grip the steering wheel to where he could compete in the next round of the Circle of Americas? I think the answer should be yes to that, unless something dramatically changes in the next couple of weeks. I expect he will be back, at, at if not at 100% close to that, where he will be able to compete. But uh, a decent performance, unfortunately. He made the same mistake I think Scott Dixon made at that little tight turn where you misjudge it and you catch the inside wall and then catch the outside wall. And then he took a pretty significant whack from uh, Mateus Laced. Uh, also knocked Laced out of the race. But uh, that was a disappointing uh, performance for them, certainly. A team that's certainly looking for sponsorship uh, to run the season. Uh, they have limited uh, what the partners are obviously losing. Uh, Fuzzy's uh, Zeller support certainly did not help them any. But uh, you look at the other situations right now. The other situation right now is Honda with the two engine failures, uh, Borde and Hunter Ray going out. Is Honda pushing themselves too thin again? Is that going to become a story when we get to the Indianapolis 500 about reliability concerns uh, with HPD again as it was a few years ago? Let's talk a little bit about the win of Joseph Newgarden. Gets the first win of the uh, 2019 IndyCar Series. Beats out Will Power and Scott Dixon. Joseph Newgarden, man, I'll tell you what. I've liked him since he's been, he's been started. But now that he's with Penske, it's kind of like you go from uh, being Robin to being Batman. What are your thoughts? Joseph Newgarden, 2019 first win down in the streets of St. Petersburg as we get ready for the roads of America. Well, Circuit of the Americas will be interesting. Circuit of America, I'm sorry. Yeah, he certainly helps his cause even more. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be the threat, though. Obviously, I think Will Power is still the threat on paper based on the success he's had over the years. But uh, if New Garden or, you know, Dixon could get a victory, it certainly uh, puts uh, Power's situation of winning a championship into question again. Uh, because you can only make so many of those late charges throughout your career and make them effectively and get all the way there. And we've seen over the years where power has been unable to do that. And uh, if he gets into a little hole here again, uh, be interested to see if he could dig his way out of it like he has the last couple or when he won the championship and then the times when he tried to and just couldn't quite get there. How exciting is it that we can actually look at the schedule and say there's one, two, three more races before IndyCar comes to Indianapolis, it's the month of May. Certainly, I'll be down there all, all month. I know you'll probably join me as well. I tell you what, we've got the Grand Prix, and we've got the Indianapolis 500. We've got Carb Day. We've got Pole Day. All the excitement of May is building. We've got a few more races beforehand, but it's almost like, can we say, can we start talking about the Indianapolis 500 in 2019? Gives you goosebumps, doesn't it? It does. Uh, the question in my mind, looking ahead, you talk about the, the cut line, is what about these one-off entries? How many of them are going to get in the field and how many are going to get left out? Uh, Pippa Mann's one team. Yunkos uh, uh, right now is situation. Kyle Kaiser with limited entry. And then the second entry, if it does happen, if it's R.C. Anderson, et cetera, will they get in? Uh, Catherine Legg, will she be able to steal a bid now that uh, Meyer Shank is showing more potential from Jack Harvey? Does she sneak in and possibly knock a regular out? And uh, then the other question is uh, Dryer and Reinbold. Uh, right now, the last driver I have in the field is J.R. Hildebrand, who is likely going to be with Dryer and Reinbold. Uh, is he in danger? Is Sage Karen going to be in danger? And will they have to change their strategy 
from, you know, just being confident that they will be in the field where they don't take an over-concern about qualifying. Well, they have to take a closer look at that now just to make sure they get in the field. Well, it's going to be exciting, and we'll do a little shameless plug as we do every year. Uh, right after poll day, we have what's called our special called the Field of 33. Myself, you, and Tyson Lautenschlager from unpitroad.com will break down every single car in the race of 33. What we love about poll day is poll day, but more, more deeper than that, we had we saw something last year, and we like James Hinchcliffe, good friend of the show. Have been following him since he's been in the Indy Lights. He's actually in the in the Indy Lights with Pippa Man. Speaking of Pippa Man, and speaking of what we saw last year, heart gut wrenching bump from James Hinchcliffe and and Schmidt Motorsports could have went ahead and put uh, James Hinchcliffe in the race. They decided to take the high road, and and I, I think they gained a lot of respect from a lot of fans. But hey, James didn't earn a ride. It was you qualify the car, you don't qualify the driver. You can put any driver that that you want in there. Of course, we we know that what went on with Wickens and later on with Wickens. But at the same time, who's going to be the spoiler this year? And we talk about Pippa Man. It's great that we always like to see her in. And, and, and don't get me wrong, she's a she's been on the show. Super nice gal. You and I have talked with her in the garages before. Nothing against Pippa, but can or will Pippa be the spoiler this year? Because she may have a pretty good car, and she qualified very fast in the Fast 10 last year uh, in qualifying. So she can and has proven that she can qualify for the Indianapolis 5. And she knows that track very well. Is she a spoiler in the Indianapolis 2019? As far as a spoiler right now, I'd say based on what we saw this past weekend, I'd say if there is a spoiler out there, it's not Pippa Man. If indeed Meyer Shank runs two cars, I think the big threat's going to be Catherine Lake. Uh, remember, she last couple years ago uh, put an entry to get her last minute with Schmidt and was able to get in the field. That was able to knock uh, Michelle Jordan Jr. out of the field. Um, I think uh, Catherine Legg, uh, certainly at Shank is that the potential that we think they are based on the performance of Harvey at St. Pete. Uh, if they do enter two cars, I think they have a very good chance to get a second car into the field, and obviously that takes a bit away from somebody. The question is, who would it be, and uh, would it be one of the regulars? And then, for instance, log on to IndyCar.com right now, Tom. You'll see a car that looks familiar. It's the Ben Hanley Dragon Speed car. And that's another team that could potentially steal a bid from somebody that I'm not convinced can get in the field on their own merit based on what they showed at St. Pete and considering they're still raw, it's a series. That's another team that they get their act together that could also steal a bid from somebody. Real quickly, before we got to move on, let's talk a little bit about the legend about A.J. Foyt. And we know that his son uh, pretty much handles the day-to-day operations, but don't we think in lieu of his age and just recent things that have happened with A.J. Foyt, isn't it time for A.J. Foyt to just enjoy being A.J. Foyt and, and, and kind of step away from his duties That's with A.J. Foyt racing? That's not going to happen. You know he'll be there until the day he passes away. Uh, he just It's a labor of love. He just will not be able to get away from it. And I think uh, regardless of as long as he's still on this planet, if he there's a way for him to get to the 
the scoring stand uh, with the team for the Indy 500, he will be there. Well, I'll tell you what, he's, he's certainly somebody to watch and we'll uh, certainly not wishing that to happen anytime, but you're all right. It's a, it's a labor of love and that's for sure. We've been joined by Matthew Embry of WSBT up in South Bend, Notre Dame country, talking some bracketology, the March of Madness and IndyCar. Uh, Matthew is also our official IndyCar contributor. Matthew, any final words of wisdom before we got to go and start talking about some NASCAR? Congratulations to uh, Daria Frakiti, Tony Stewart, both inducted into the Motorsports Hall of Fame American Daytona Beach this weekend. Uh, unfortunately, uh, too bad uh, what might have been for Dara Frankiti. I'd say if not for that crash at Houston, we could have had another Indy four-time winner. Unfortunately, it wasn't to be, but uh, what a run he had in a very short period of time with the, the Ganassi Racing Team. All right, Matthew, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Twitter, M-A-T-T-E-M-B-U-R-Y is where I have it. And, of course, the big focus uh, for locally here in Northern Indiana, can Penn get to the state finals? Uh, they play Carmel. On WSBT, our coverage starts at 3.30 this afternoon, online and on our main feed. All right, buddy. We'll talk with you soon. Matthew Embry uh, from uh, WSBT up in South Bend talking some March Madness and Selection Sunday and our official IndyCar contributor. My name is Saul Mark. We'll see president. Take a a break. Be right back with Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest. We're going to be talking some NASCAR. That's right. We're still talking racing right here on the Balance Radio Network. Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. 
When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your move. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? All right, and welcome back to The Balance. One hour in the books. Thanks to Mo from the BS Sports Show uh, and Matthew Embry from WSBT up in South Bend joining us for some bracketology. And, of course, uh, Matthew joining us uh, for some IndyCar talk. Or it's time to get into some NASCAR talk with editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest and our official NASCAR contributor, Mr. Steve Wilson. How are you, sir? you got to be elated about your Florida State Seminoles. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, living here in Virginia, uh, you know, plenty of coverage last night of just, uh, yeah, just knocking them out of, uh, you know, the the contest last night. I mean, it. I only caught a couple minutes here and there as I was walking by the TV, but um, you know, I think a lot of people thought the UVA was gonna was gonna. Um, uh, be a much stronger contender than what they were, and especially ranked number one. Um, but good for Florida State, though. <laughs> we didn't do anything in football. Maybe we can do something in basketball. We'll see what happens. In Virginia, it's clearly, well, one would think. We don't know yet because everything is hypothetical. But tomorrow is uh, Selection Sunday. It's not looking good for my Hoosiers, but I, I'm holding out faith. Holding out faith, I got the faith. Hey, let's talk a little bit. Of, let's get a recap from last week's racing action. And, of course, uh, uh, we, we got one more race on the West Coast Swing, and then we, we come back this way. And then you got Martinsville. You got uh, a lot of uh, short track racing, which is so much fun to watch. But, uh, Steve, uh, talk with us a little bit about NASCAR last week. Give us a recap. And, Let's talk about what's going on this weekend with Xfinity and the Monster Energy Series as well. Well, I think the talk of the town was uh, uh, not only the fight between Daniel Suarez and Michael McDowell during qualifying last week, but uh, Kyle Busch continues his ascension to 200 NASCAR Series wins. Um I, I, I and apparently that, he has to know, build a house to hold, hold. Apparently he has to build a house to hold his trophies. <laughs> Go ahead, buddy. Hey, yeah, yeah. What did he say? A, a sixty thousand square foot uh, a race shop a house down at KBM or something to, to that nature. Uh, hey, yeah, it's so, a good problem you know, to have, I guess. I guess. But at the end of the day, I think. Uh, 
you know, the the conversation has been how do you compare Kyle Bush and what he's done to somebody like uh, Richard Petty who won 200 National Series uh, victories. Um, I think the conversation is, is that you can't really um, – there's no way to quantify uh, the two together. Uh, you know, when Richard Petty was running, they were running uh, as many as 70, 80 races a year, sometimes as many as three or four times a week. Uh, and, and, you know, for, for Kyle Busch, um, he doesn't have that um, opportunity to run three or four or five times a week in 70 or 80 races a year um, as NASCAR continues to cut down the number of uh, events that uh, on a national series uh, driver can enter into the lower series, such as Xfinity and the trucks. Um, you know, it's hard to quantify these things, and especially Kyle Busch had the opportunity to 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 get to 200 victories within uh, three different racing series, where um, Richard Petty did it in one. Um, so, you know, while at the end of the day, Kyle Busch is probably is is going to exceed. I think we will probably see him in the high 200s, sub 300s by the time that he is done with his career. Um, there's just no way to quantify the two together. Uh, Richard Petty will always be the king of the sport. He won 200 victories in the National Series. Um, Kyle Busch um, doing it across three different racing series within NASCAR. So, uh, again, it's hard to quantify them. And um, when is the when is that victory going to come for Kyle Busch? Will it come this weekend? Not sure. Um, I wouldn't expect it at, at a place like Martinsville, but, you know, as we start moving along, as we get to Bristol and Richmond, um, we may see Kyle Busch hit that 200 mark. Well, absolutely. And you're right about by Kyle Petty, but at the same time, we look at, we look at legends continue to, the, to, to evolve. And the, the, the thing about it is, Petty's not racing currently, and Bush is. Let's look at the, this last weekend's uh, Hall of Fame uh, inductees. Uh, some uh, really good names, the big names uh, down there at Daytona Speedway. Talk with us a little bit about the 2019 Hall of Fame. Well, you know, the, the Hall of Fame induction down there with Tony Stewart, Dirk, and Frank Heady, and um, uh, Linda Vaughn. Uh, as well as others, um, you know, uh, the, these are highly respected people within all forms of both sports. And unlike the Hall of Fame in Charlotte, are, are you talking about Charlotte? Or are you talking about down in Daytona? Because we we've had two different uh, Hall of Fames. Uh, uh, this, You're making this, this me dizzy, Steve. Charlotte. I don't know. Whatever just happened in Daytona. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, Daytona. Okay, good. Wait, because, wait, you know, wait! To expose my lack sh- lack of show prep on the Hall of Fame. Go ahead, buddy. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. We've had two different Hall of Fames uh, already in the last week with the announcement in Charlotte for the 2020s, and then yeah, everything. But yeah, back to yeah. I just want to be clear. But yeah, as far as Daria Frankie and Tony Stewart, Linda Vaughn, and the others that were inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, this past weekend or uh, in Daytona, um, you know, it, it, it's a highly, it's a, it's a representation of all the people that have brought this sport together um, in, in various dis- uh, different disciplines. 
Uh, I think a lot of people would probably recognize Linda Vaughn and uh, her uh, being in the uh, the late 60s and 70s sure. uh, and, and basically the, the, the trophy girl uh, within the, the sport. First, the first Danica. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, I don't know. I don't think you can really compare her to that. She, uh, oh, yeah. she, she, because she actually won yeah. races. <laughs> <laughs> so, so for her, uh, it, it, it very much is uh, a representation of you know how the sport has moved along and, and the people that have put it together. Uh, Tony Stewart, as far as his multiple wins, multiple championships across various different disciplines, uh, you know, it just it just brings together. Again, the fact of people that have put this, put their lives into this sport, and, and move the ball uh, a considerable distance, and you know, for Dario Franchini, for some of the things that he's done in open wheel racing, um, you know, yet again, it, it, I, I like the fact that they just don't pick one discipline. They just don't pick stock car racing. They don't pick. Uh, open wheel, they don't pick uh, sprint cars. They just they they pull people from various different disciplines. Uh, people that again have uh, moved the ball in this sport, uh, made it a better place, and um, you know you, you not I, I I don't I don't think necessarily that you know you have to win a championship to get in there. And I think that, you know, that, that helps. But, again, they look at the overall factor of what you've done for this sport, how you've moved this sport along into the future, or what you did in your time during the sport to make it a better place. And I think that, you know, we, we see that representation between the people that they're putting in there. We're talking with Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest, uh, certainly our official NASCAR contributor. Uh, last race in the West Coast Swing, Fontana. Uh, we look at the Xfinity race and qualifying as well. They've got a new rule in place. Uh, slow down on pit row. What's that about? <laughs> well, you know, in the past we've not had any uh, pit row speed during uh, during uh, uh, qualifying. And uh, last week at Phoenix, uh, there were some issues that, that came out uh, with some of these drivers speeding down pit road while other drivers were trying to go out on tracks and NASCAR slapped this uh, uh, pit road penalty just as if you were in the race and you would uh, um, they 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 started cracking down on that. Although yesterday in in qualifying is and I'm just going to use um, NASCAR's words on this, the drivers made a complete mockery out of the process. Well, <laughs> pit row is always a contagious little beast, isn't it? We we could use another V word if we wanted to. That's for sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, what's on tap for the uh, Auto Club at out in Fontana for both Na- uh, Xfinity and the Monster Energy Series. Uh, before we talk a little bit more about what's going on as they come back east here. Well, as far as Fontana, both today and tomorrow, but the thing is, is that, you know, this track is in, it, it has some tire wear uh, associated with it, but there's multiple grooves as this, as the asphalt has continued to age into this facility, it's continued to move grooves out closer to the wall. Uh, we've seen kind of play like Kyle Larson. He likes to run the wall just inches off of it all the way around the racetrack. An interesting note from yesterday, 
uh, a couple of drivers were 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 uh, uh, just about two weeks ago in in Las Vegas. Um, the drivers were lifting for about maybe a second, a second and a half going into the turns, but a majority of the 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 race uh, around. Uh, Las Vegas Motor Speedway, they were holding the, these cars wide open. That's due to the different engine packages that they're bringing along with the risers in, in into the motors. Um, but at at Fontana this weekend, a lot of these drivers are saying where they're having to even the the speeds are much lower. I mean, we've seen speeds in the two. 12, 213, 214 range, and these speeds are considerably lower um, coming into this weekend. And in in the past, a lot of these drivers were able to hang this thing out real far down into the turns before they let off. They're saying now that they're having to let off in the throttle much, uh, much, a much more considerable amount of time going into the turns. So um, that's something to look for, that now we've both got lower speeds into it, and now that we're actually getting some throttle control out of these cars, we may see some cars different, more passing than we have in the past. Um, and I, I think it could be interesting, especially with as many as five grooves that you see around Auto Club Speedway um, and just the, uh, the the new throttle control that we're now going to potentially see this weekend, which I think is a good thing. I said that at Las Vegas, that, you know, these cars holding it wide open all the way around the track is very much indicative of a place like Daytona and Talladega. And that's not something that, you know, I particularly want to see at, at these racetracks. I want to see some more throttle control. And it sounds like this weekend that at Fontana, we, we were going to see that. And that should um, move not only uh, the different grooves of racing around the racetrack, but also the fact that we, we could see potentially different passing in areas that we haven't or didn't see at a place like Las Vegas. Certainly, we've got the Xfinity race this afternoon. Tyler Reddick set to number one in the in the point standing there with uh, Xfinity Race Series. Talk with us a little bit about Tyler Reddick going into Fontana. I think Tyler Reddick, he he's come over to uh, Rich Jones Racing. I mean, he was he was the champion uh, in the previous year over at Junior Motorsports, and you know, Rich Jones Racing, their Xfinity Series has uh, their, their Xfinity. Uh, Teams have seemed to be much stronger than a Cup Series, but it seems like the Richard Jones Racing as a whole is, uh, with Daniel Hamrick, uh, um, working alongside of Boston Dillon. Um, it looks like that everybody over there is much faster, and now that uh, Tyler Reddick is there, uh, he's um, he's very much he's very much picked up uh, where he left off in, in last year. Uh, or at least late last year, he didn't start off the year uh, aside from Daytona winning uh, the the, uh, the event in Daytona last year, and then he kind of uh, sl- uh, lacked just a little bit until he got about halfway through the season. And um, this year, it, it he seems to that energy has just come right along. Um, we're we're seeing good runs out of him already, 
And uh, Richard Chester's racing, I think, as a whole, and I think we can just be more broad into that, is uh, is running more competitively this year um, than we've seen in the past. And there's three young guys over there. Austin Dillon is there. Um, they, they're they also working alongside Richard Chester's racing and Jermaine racing at the same time. Uh, with uh, So... I think this is helping everybody out over there, and Tyler Reddick is a beneficiary to this, no doubt, uh, in the fact of uh, the the improved performance overall by that stable at Richard Joseph Racing. We got Christopher Bell, Cole Custer, Michael Annette, Brandon Jones, Austin Cedric, uh, John uh, John Namacek, sorry, uh, Noah Garrison, uh, Justin Algier. And Ryan Sieg rounding out the top ten. What are your thoughts, sir? I was surprised by Ryan Sieg. Now, last year, you know, Ryan and the, that team at RSS Racing, um, they had they had some sporadic uh, runs that were very competitive. And the offseason, they decided to go a totally different direction. Um, they built new cars. They have new engineering support, um, and we're we're seeing them probably run better than they have in that company's career. Uh, they're progressively getting better every week. They're being more competitive every week. They've been in the top ten uh, every week except for one. Um, so I think for them, they are a strong contender this year. Um, are they going to be a strong contender for that, you know, championship? Uh, I, I don't know. I think that they're still building, but I think they're going to be a real strong contender for some of these drivers that are going for the championship or some of these drivers that are going to try and make it in, into Homestead and the playoffs later this year. So um, for them, I think that they're moving in the right direction. Now, Christopher Bell, he had a he had a bad week last week, and unfortunately, it put him out of the race. Um, but for him, the good thing about it is he's already locked into the playoffs this early in the season. So, you know, that bad run that he had at Phoenix last week, um, they can scrap that thing and uh, go on and not have too much of a hit. Um later on in the season. So uh, two opposite ends of the spectrum there. I think, uh, you know, Christopher Bell is somebody that we're going to continue to talk about all season long. He's going to be very highly competitive over in that, uh, in that car for Joe Gibbs racing. I don't see any reason why he won't be contending for the championship once they get to home set or very late in the season. Um, so, uh, I, I, going back to some of the others that are in there, uh, I think John Hunter Nietzsche has an opportunity at GMS Racing um, to 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 improve. I think that that stable at GMS in the Xfinity Series needs better runs. They've been doing well in the Truck Series over the last couple of years, but they've needed some help on the Xfinity side. Uh, Spencer Gallagher, who was in that car, said, look, I understand that we need some uh, new experience in this car. We need to be better in this car. We need to be better as a team and overall. And he understood and recognized this and took himself out of the car and placed John Hunter Nemechek in it. Uh, he's got several wins in the truck series. 
and, and I think he could be a contender. I think he is, uh, you know, he had a very lackluster season last year overall in, in the Xfinity Series, but this year with uh, GMS Racing, with their full support, um, look for him uh, to, to again, uh, improve upon last year. I think we could probably see him contend for a couple of these wins at some of these places, but uh, um, maybe not for the championship at the end of the year. Last week at Vegas, qualifying Daniel Suarez, Michael uh, and McDowell uh, got in a little bit of a scuffle uh, there on pit lane. Have they kissed and made up, or are they going to meet behind the, the Burger King parking lot? <laughs> <laughs> I think some people, I think some people would just hope that they would go out there and uh, um, go and uh, fight this thing out. But no, they've uh, they've had their conversations. They met with NASCAR last week. In fact, they even rode in the the truck together. Uh, as part that. of pre-race uh, ceremonies and had a little like, conversation as, as far as that was they, concerned. Wouldn't that be funny if they got into a fist fight in the back of the truck? That would have been that would have been noteworthy. <laughs> we need we need yeah, some more yeah, good we, fights. We need some more well, good fights. We, Martinsville's coming up, and Martinsville's known mm-hmm. for more than its hot dogs. We might see some fights, and we, we, I mean, it's like hockey. We want to see some good fights. We want to see some haymakers going on. Uh, <laughs> Martins, Martinsville's known for that. Uh, well, let's uh, go ahead and get on over to the the uh, NASCAR Series Auto Club tomorrow, and then we'll talk a little bit about the hot dogs in Martinsville. <laughs> well, uh, as I alluded to earlier, oh, and, and, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the whole bag of them because you can't just eat one of them. But as I alluded to earlier, um, NASCAR came out yesterday and, and said that these drivers made a complete mockery of the qualification process. Um, they're saying that by Texas we could have a new qualifying procedure, that they're going to make some changes. Uh, yesterday, if for what people don't know is, uh, or maybe not have seen, is that during the first two rounds of qualifying, uh, the drivers went out, they took their time, and then during the uh, final round of qualifying, the drivers did not leave pit road and nobody took time. Uh, they did not make it back to the flag to make a time lap. Twelve cars, uh, all 12 that were in the final round, um, left pit road with about three-ish odd seconds um, needed to to make time. So NASCAR has seen this in the past. In fact, it happened in the truck series in 2015, uh, where during the final rounds of qualifying, uh, not a single truck took time. And I think after what we saw yesterday, um, you know, again, NASCAR came out. They said that they made a mockery of it, and they're going to make some changes come Texas. Um, My personal feelings into this is that I've never been in favor or really – like these the the qualifying like this. I know a lot of people say that single car qualifying is boring, single car qualifying takes too long, but I think there's ways to mitigate that in the fact that, you know, at Daytona, 
Um, we ran through an entire field of cars in just about an hour, and we could do so at, a, at some of these other racetracks, but I think that they need to, to look at the way that short tracks do this. Um, one warm-up lap, one hot lap, and one round of qualifying. That's it. You go out there, you make your lap, and then you fall where you fall in the, in the field. No, no, uh, no multiple rounds or anything like that. But I also have a caveat to that. My feeling is also that if you can't, if you can't make it through tech twice, then you're done. Then you're just not going to make time because we don't. NASCAR needs to condense condense this down. Um, you know, for people that are watching on TV or people that are sitting in the stands because, you know, nobody wants to go back and watch two hours worth qualifying anymore. So I think it's an unfair advantage. I think it's unfair to other people in the field that if you're having to continuously go through tech and failing tech and you can't make it through um, and this prolongs the, the qualifying process, I think if you can't make it through on the second time, then you're done. You go park it back in the garage and you're just going to start at the end at the tail of the field. So I think there's ways to mitigate these things. I think there's ways to get this qualifying down like we were at, um, at, at Daytona to about an hour or so. And I think that a lot of people could watch that on TV or sit in the stands because I think that that's more enjoyable to the fact of you only have one lap. So you got to go and give it everything you can in that one lap. And they're not going to have to sit there all day long to figure out who's going to be on the pole. And I'll saw pole or even 30th place. We're looking at Kyle Busch being number one, Joey Logano, Kevin Harvick, Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Larson, Eric Amanella, Brad Koloski, Kurt Busch, and Ricky Steinhouse Jr. Round out the top ten as we go in to Auto Club and the final race of the West Coast Swing. What say you, sir? <laughs> well, I don't think I have anything more to say on uh, Kyle Busch. I mean, he's a... Uh, He's the best at what he does for a reason. Um, some of the other, I think it's very interesting that Ricky Stenhouse is in the top ten. Roush Fenway Racing has not had very good seasons over the last three to five years or so as uh, Matt Kansas, Carl Edwards, and others left out of there. Um, you know, somebody else who's having a very good run is also Ryan Nittman over there in the, the number six car. He, uh, You know, they're, they're going to serve in top ten again this weekend. So I think Roush Fenway as a whole, they're they're making the the strides and making the turns that they need to make to become better. And I think we're already seeing that. Ricky Stenhouse uh, ruffled a few feathers uh, a couple of weeks ago, but you know that's not deterred him from the fact of continuously continuing to stay and have good runs like he is. I think he can prove that he has good runs. He has in the past. I mean, he's a two-time champion in Xfinity Series, so he knows what he's doing. I think he just needed. Um, you know, Ross Fenway as a whole just needed a little bit of help, and I think that they they finally got that with Ryan Newman over there. But, you know, it's just not Ryan Newman that's making the turns over there for them. But, um, you know, uh, I think it, I think it's interesting that we see the spread uh, of different drivers across this year. I think that we're, we're not going to be able to talk about the top three, um, Kyle Busch, um, Martin Truex Jr., and uh, – and, and uh, Kevin Harvick, uh, as we have in the past, I think Kurt Busch is somebody that we're going to talk about this year. I think we're going to talk about some of these other drivers all year long. And uh, I, I just don't pin your hopes on you know one or two or three drivers that we're going to talk about all year. I mean, we're going to talk about Kyle Busch because he's going to continue to win. He's going to hit that 
200 mark, and then he's going to go beyond the 200 mark. Um, but beside that, I mean, sure, we're going to talk about that, but I think we're just going to be talking about a lot of these different drivers all year long because uh, of the unpredictability of what this car is going to do at some of these racetracks that we're going to end up going to um, beyond here. I think that once we start getting to places like um, Texas or Dover and places like that, we're going to start talking about some of these drivers that we've not talked about maybe in the past, or maybe we've talked about them a little bit less. Um, but overall, I think the top 10 this year is an interesting crop. I think even going beyond that, I think there's some possibilities for for drivers that are not currently in top 10, top 12 right now to come out with victory this year. I think some of these may even um, they're, they're end up um, their droughts, well, in their droughts, I think Jimmy Johnson is somebody that we may talk about when we get to Dover because I think it plays directly into him. And I think maybe this new package can help him out and kind of equalize some of the um, – equalize a little bit that we've not um, talked about him uh, over the last couple of years or even last year when he went winless. we got to wrap it up and put a bowl on it because we've got to get to some NFL free agency talk. Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, buddy. Appreciate you jumping on. Where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? You can follow us at Speedway Digest on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Speedway Digest and SpeedwayDigest.com. All right, buddy. You have yourself a good race weekend. We'll talk with you soon. Thank you, you too. Take care. Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor. We are about ready to get into it, guys. It is finally here. NFL free agency standing by in the balance green room. It's Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, and our official NFL contributor, also super fan of, that's right, the Cleveland Browns. We don't even have to have a season. We're just going to turn it on over to him and and the, and the Browns and see what happens because uh, they're going to win the Super Bowl here coming up in 2019. We'll be right back. We're going to talk some NFL free agency. The madness is here. Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals. 
see live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. All right, welcome back to the balance final segment of the show. Thank you to Mo for the BS Sports Show, who normally joins us during this segment, but he had to be on the air, so we had to do some shaking and baking. So he joined us for some bracketology talk at the beginning uh, of the show. Selection Sunday is tomorrow. Will I you get in? Probably not. But we're going to talk about Ohio and Ohio State here in just a moment. But nonetheless, there's more madness going on in March than just Selection Sunday. Also, uh, Matthew Embry joined us as well from WSPT up in South Bend, uh, talking a little bit about uh, bracketology. And, of course, he's also our IndyCar contributor. And we just left as Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. So this is going to be a fun uh, time to talk with, with Ed Kratz. And we have super fan of the Cleveland Browns. And when I say super fans, of the Cleveland Browns. I am not joking about that. In full disclosure, he is a former colleague and a friend of mine, Mr. Adam Jevedin. How are you, sir? Tom, I'm doing good, man. I've been good since, <laughs> like, Monday. You haven't slept since Monday. Joining us also, Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles. Ed, uh, we're going to talk with you from the business aspect of side, the media side. We're going to talk with with Adam Jividen here of, of the Browns aspect. All right, we'll start with you guys. We'll start with you, uh, Adam, because you're the super fan. You haven't slept since Monday. You got yourself an Odell Beckman Jr. We don't even have to have an NFL season. We're just going to go ahead and give you the Lombardi. Go ahead, Adam. Get it all out, buddy. You know, I, when, the Obel, when the Odell trade dropped, I was actually, ironically, I was on the phone with my dad telling him, I was like, Dad, it's looking like this might actually happen. We'd been, you know, it had been kind of rumored and tossed around. Uh, but, I mean, the, the collection of talent that, that Brown's GM, John Dorsey, has brought to Cleveland in, 
in 15 months is staggering. Uh, there are now 10 players on the roster under the age of 26 that graded out, according to Pro Football Focus, as a top six player at their position, uh, and then two more that are 28. I mean, the collection of talent is, is incredible when you look at Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, uh, Antonio Callaway, David Njoku, Nick Chubb, and then Kareem Hunt and David or, uh, Duke Johnson. I mean, it's, I've never seen anything like this since, like, the greatest show on turf Rams team. And <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable when you consider the fact that the average age of the team is 25. And so they'll do this. They'll have this roster together for close to, you know, six, seven, eight years. So we don't have to have a we don't have to have an NFL season for the next six to seven years. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and our official NFL contributor. As you can as you can tell, this is the perfect weekend, Ed, to have super fan Ed, Adam Jividen on. He is a Browns loyalist and he has he has stuck with them and they believe the Messiah is here. What do you say, Ed? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I can't blame him for not sleeping. I mean, it's a, it's exciting times to be a Cleveland Brown fan, no doubt. I mean, uh, after that Beckham trade went down, I tweeted out that, you know, I think the Browns are going to be must-watch television this year. I think you'll see them crop up on some Sunday night primetime games, some Monday night primetime games. I, I certainly want to see the Browns play now. I mean, you know, you hope Baker Mayfield can take that next step, you know, uh, in his development. Um, you know, we'll see how that, that works out. Uh, and we'll see how the offensive line works out. I mean, I know they got Olivia Vernon in the trade, but they had to give up a pretty big piece of that offensive line uh, in Zeitler. So, uh, you know, the offensive line, you know, we'll see how that all comes together. I know I like Joel Batonio. He's a good player. Um, but, uh, you know, the offensive line, that's that's kind of where things happen. And uh, they're definitely loaded at the skill positions. They might have the most talented uh, wide receiving core in the AFC with uh, – you know, Jarvis Landry uh, joining um, Odell Beckham uh, in that core. You know, they were teammates at LSU, too, so they have some history together. They're good friends. Um, and then, you know, you, like uh, Adam mentioned, you know, you have that running back core. I love Nick Chubb. Liked him when they drafted him. Um, you know, you're going to get, uh, the you know, the other running back there, uh, Hill back. Um, not Hill, Hunt. I'm thinking of Tyreek Hill. But, yeah, Kareem Hunt comes back after eight games and, you know, by then that could be getting like a, a, a trade, you know, at the, at the trade deadline, adding another key piece like that to a team that, you know, might be in first place uh, in their division after uh, the midway point, uh, you know, and then you throw in Duke Johnson. I know there are rumors that they might trade Duke Johnson, but I really don't see why they would do that while you're waiting for uh, Hunt to come, uh, come back from being uh, suspended for eight games for, you know, the, the, the alleged uh, assault that he had. Um, but, uh, you know, they're definitely loaded offensively at the skill positions. The offensive line's a question mark for me. Um, and defensively, I like, I like all levels of their defense. You know, I like their defensive line with Miles, uh, you know, with Miles Garrett on it, um, you know, and some other pieces, Olivia Vernon, you know, the guy they got in the trade. And then I like, uh, you know, they have a good linebacker. They have great, uh, cornerbacks and Denzel Ward. So, um, you know, I think it could be a good defense too. So, yeah, they, I think they have a little, parts in place to certainly make it to the postseason, uh, and then we'll see what happens from there. 
We're talking with Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, our official NFL contributor, also super fan of the Cleveland Browns, thought it was appropriate to bring him on. Full disclosure, he's a former colleague and a friend of mine, but I do know that he is he is a pedigree Cleveland Brown fan. It doesn't, it doesn't just happen with him, and I'm quite certain that you're passing it on to your son, Ollie, and you talked about uh, you talked about talking with your dad on the phone about, hey, this could actually happen. Talk with us a little bit about what it's like to be a Cleveland Brown fan, and, and, and I jokingly say you're going to pass this down to your son, Ollie, but I'm, it's, I know it's 100% true. The Browns fans, are it's in their, it's in their blood, but what made you guys think that this was really going to happen? And like you said, you were talking to your dad on the phone and said, hey, this could actually happen. What was it in your mind that made the Cleveland Browns say, hey, let's make this move happen no matter what? Well, I mean, you know, getting back to, to kind of the first question, so my, my family is originally from Central Ohio, um, and I've still a lot of family there. You know, yeah, I think I think two of my son's first phrases were, go Buckeyes, and then go Baker. Um, and then he puked. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably. But, I mean, you know, I, I think – this is a this is a, a different time to to be a Cleveland fan. You know the Indians were we've rattled off several uh, divisional divisional titles, made it to and played in probably the greatest World Series of my entire lifetime against the Cubs. One of those where both franchises kind of went away. Like wow, that was special. Uh, LeBron won us our title um, on Father's Day of 2016. And then, and then everything changed, you know, with the Browns the day that John Dorsey was hired. You know, he brought stability to the organization, a man that knows what he's going to – knows what he wants to do and how to execute a plan to perfection. You know, I, I, I was talking to my dad because there was just – the rumors were getting more and more louder and more and more uh, clear. You know, it was like, well, the Giants said they weren't trading him. And then, well, they would trade him for two firsts. And then, well, maybe a, a first and a, and a young player would work. And then, and then I heard that the Browns had offered uh, a first next year's second. And Ogba, Emmanuel Ogba, who we still have on the defensive line as well, and will be a backup at this point unless we um, unload him, uh, yeah, via trade, um, as, and then um, so it was a first this year, a second next year, and a fourth this year, plus Ogba, four, Odell, and a three this year. And once you start hearing those kind of specific details, you know it's close. Now, it could fall apart, just like Antonio Brown to Buffalo did, but when you start hearing that, you're going, it's close. Like, this, this could happen, and then – and then the trade comes out, and it was actually better than that. You know, they wanted Jabril Peppers, which uh, I thank Jabril for the time that he was with the Browns. And uh, you know what? Have fun with the Giants, buddy, because we landed the guy who is, without question, the most talented receiver in all of football. And, and it's not just, like I said, it's not just offense. I mean, the defensive line – might now be the best defensive line in the NFL with Miles Garrett, Larry Ogajobi, Sheldon Richardson, and Olivier Vernon. 
And then you go to the linebackers, and you have two guys that have made a Pro Bowl there, and Christian Kirksey and and uh, Joe Sober. And then the defense, or the, the secondary, you've got Denzel Ward and Demarius Randall. And, I mean, the, the amount of, team, of talent on this team is just it's, – it's mind-boggling. It's the kind of thing that my dad – vaguely remembers of the Otto Graham and Jim Brown days. I mean, to pull something off of that kind of magnitude, that the, 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 the trade, and we still have $45 million in cap space that will probably roll over to next year. So, I mean, hey, they're I, taking advantage of the Baker Mayfield uh, rookie contract, which is what teams have to do. I love your enthusiasm. We've got to get a lot of other stuff in here. <laughs> Ed, as you can hear in the voice of, of, of Adam here, he really is a true super fan. And the thing about it is, and, and, and Adam and I share another uh, loudest uh, fan in the room, uh, Pittsburgh Steeler fan. Uh, <laughs> and you know who I'm talking about, Adam, and that's Kyle. But at the same time, we, we saw some drama with the, the Steelers. Walk us through, well, obviously, Bell going to the Jets, who saw that happening? Brown going to the Raiders. I think everybody saw that happening. Uh, uh, Jolly O St. Nick going to Jacksonville. Walk us through the NFL free agency over the last 48 hours. Who's the winners? Who's the losers? Winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> That's a lot to, a lot to uh, sum up there. You know, uh, but, you know, Adam made a great point there. I liked, I liked his last point about the fact that the Browns are doing what they have to do with uh, Baker Mayfield still on his rookie contract, you know, uh, that's huge. You know, once these quarterbacks use up that rookie deal and teams have to either decide to sign them to a, uh, another long or a bigger long-term deal or let, let them go and try and find somebody else. I mean, that's what the Eagles did when they won the Super Bowl with Wentz, uh, you know, on his rookie deal. That's kind of what the Rams did. Um, they loaded up with kind of some all-stars with Jared Goff on his rookie deal. And now you see the Browns doing the same thing. And that's just, that's, that's really good decision-making right there to do exactly what the Browns are doing. Um, and you hope it pays dividends while Baker Mayfield's on that rookie deal. But, um, you know, to get, to get off to the other uh, points you made there, Tom, um, you know, Le'Veon Bell to the Jets uh, didn't quite get the money that he wanted, but, you know, the market is what the market is. It can, you know, if the market wasn't there for him, then you take the best deal that you can get. And, you know, he'll certainly help the Jets as, you know, they try to uh, make that next step with Sam Darnold as their quarterback. Um, it's great to have a running game. And, you know, we'll see Baker Mayfield uh, benefit from that too this year with Chubb. And, um, you know, once Hunt gets back and, and Duke Johnson. So, uh, you know, I really like that move to the Jets. I think it's a good move for them. You know, when you look at New York and you talk winners and losers, you know, uh, tale of two teams. You know, the Jets kind of made some noise by signing Bell, and then the Giants uh, made some noise in kind of a negative way by trading away Beckham and Vernon. And, you know, you wonder what their plan is. You know, to me, so far, they're kind of the biggest losers in this whole thing Um, just because they don't seem to really have a plan in place. Then they go out and they sign Golden Tate for a huge number, who's 31 years old, um, you know, you say you want to rebuild, but you have a 38-year-old quarterback, you sign a 31-year-old receiver, who, by the way, plays the slot, which is the same position Sterling Shepard plays, so they still don't have an outside receiver to go with Corey Coleman. Um, you know, just some really, really head-scratching moves by the Giants. Um, so, to me, they're kind of the biggest losers, and uh, you look at the Raiders, where Antonio Brown went. You know, the Raiders are spending all sorts of money, and I, I'm not sure that's really the way to get better is by throwing around, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, you know, on an Antonio Brown and 
you know, they got some other guys, Trent Brown, they're taking a risk with, with the tackle there. He's kind of an up and down uh, player on the offensive line. So um, yeah, the Raiders, again, to me, until John Gruden can prove that he can coach in this generation, remember he was a coach years and years ago, and he, yeah, he got the best out of uh, some good receivers, uh, you know, in, in his scheme. But, you know, he couldn't do it with Amari Cooper. So they traded him to the Cowboys, and now they bring in Antonio Brown, and we'll see if he can get the best out of Antonio Brown. Um, you know, I'm still not sold on Gruden. I'm not sold on the Raiders. I understand why they're throwing all this money around because they're moving to Vegas, uh, you know, probably in 2020. So they want to have some marketable names. They want to be able to sell season tickets. But I don't think that's how you win uh, in the NFL is by throwing around these huge contracts. Um, you know, we saw it with the Philadelphia Eagles when they signed Maley, uh Jackson on their offensive line or defensive line, rather. You know, three years ago, he signed a six-year contract coming off a Super Bowl win with the Broncos. The Jags signed him for six years, $80 million. He got through three of those years, and they cut him. Um, didn't live up to, to his billing, and the Eagles are taking a chance on him, signed him to a three-year, $30 million deal. But a lot of times in these free agent moves uh, don't always work out as planned. I kind of like the under-the-radar type of move where you're not showering a lot of money on a player, mm-hmm. uh, and that's kind of how you build a team. You know, you build it uh, by filling in uh, – parts here and there, maybe adding to your depth rather than going out for that big star player. I think you find the big star player and you develop that star player uh, with your draft picks. You know, you're absolutely right about that. That's a valid point. That's where, you know, I'm hearing Colt fans just cry and and moan and and whatever. We need need to sign this guy. We need to sign this guy. But Chris Ballard is very, very good at just saying, Hey, I'm going to budget the money here. I'm going to, we have a lot of money to spend. And, you know, we're right there with the Browns, where I think it's a 13 or 14 to 1 to win the Super Bowls. And the Browns, when they, when they picked up uh, Odell Beckman, they went from like a 25 to 1 to a 14 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. But the, I think we, we signed uh, the guy from uh, Carolina, Devin Funches, I think I said that right, who, who just wasn't a good mix there in Carolina but I think he'll be a great pickup here. And so I think Ballard's known for that. He's known for holding the purse strings. And, and it, uh, what we see historically, we, those teams that go out there and spend a lot of money in the free agency and what we call a first wave, they typically don't do well in the postseason. You know, nothing against the Browns, and, and I'm not trying to discourage you there, um, uh, uh, Adam, but, but certainly historically, uh, statistically, that doesn't always – work out let's play the homework card there for all three of us guys it's march madness selection sunday and i'm going to give you some time to boast a little bit you may you and your buckeyes may have kicked my indiana hoosiers out of hopes of contention but i think they're still on the board with their quad one wins you guys are get you guys are going to sneak in you, you have you have done well you uh, i used like me when i was at iu uh you know goof off all year long and then try to pass your finals and, and, and get on into the next year. So that's <laughs> IU has been the IU of me when I went there. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about your Ohio state Buckeyes, Adam, what are your thoughts? Cause I know you love them too. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really, I'm really impressed with the job that Chris Holtman did this year. You know, the, This was going to be um, a bit of a regression from uh, his first year last year. Last year was a very senior-led team, um, led by Kata Bates-Diop, who is now with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, And we knew we wouldn't be able to 
we wouldn't have consistent scoring, but, but Holtman got his guys to play really good team ball. They play great defense, um, force a lot of turnovers, and if they can just get enough scoring, you know, I think they can make some noise in dance. I don't think we're not – we're not talking like Final Four. Um, that, that may come in future years for Holtman because we've got some really great recruiting classes coming. But, you know, I just think, like, if you watch his teams, um, especially being here in Indy, as, as watching Butler, it's, it's how Butler won. It's playing basketball the way basketball is supposed to be played. Um, and it's just it's 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 a joy to watch see the the program that Holtman's putting together. I'm 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 really proud as a fan of of what he's doing. Ed, I know you're uh, you're there in in uh, uh, Philadelphia, a Penn State kind of guy. Uh, I know your son though also goes to NYU. Yeah, you don't really have a dog in the fight per se, but maybe you do, maybe you don't. But what are your thoughts? March Madness selection Sunday tomorrow, Big Ten. Uh, representation, obviously going to have a strong representation. Even if I use not there, you, you're going to see Purdue there. You're going to see Minnesota there. Minnesota, great win over Purdue. Great Big Ten championship. Uh, uh, Big Ten, great Big Ten tournament in Chicago this week. Saw a lot of good games. Uh, again, uh, with IU and Ohio State, didn't quite happen the way we, we want. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Gophers get to the, the championship game, especially after I, what we saw them play against Purdue. What are your thoughts, Ed? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think when you talk about college basketball uh, here in Philadelphia, it's really not so much about Penn State. You know, Penn State's three hours to the west. But I think Philly sports teams kind of align themselves to the Penn State football program. But when it comes to basketball, uh, college Temple. basketball in the city, it's more Villanova, which is, you know, right up the road from me. Um, you know, they've won two out of the last three national titles. Uh, they're playing for the Big East title tonight. Uh, it'll be interesting to me to see where they get seated. Um, they haven't had the kind of year, obviously, that they have in the past, but they're still a very dangerous team uh, in the tournament, uh, an experienced team, even though they lost some players. Uh, it's a program under Jay Wright that knows how to win. They won the Big East regular season title, um, kind of backed into it. They lost uh, on the final day of the regular season, but so did some other teams. But they had a great win against Xavier uh, last night in overtime. Uh, they play Seton Hall, a team that has beaten them already uh, this year. They play Seton Hall for the title tonight. Um, so that's really the team that you know Philadelphia fans watch closely. And then Temple uh, basketball, of course, too. Um, looks like they – you know, they were on the bubble for a lot of the year, um, and now Temple is probably off the bubble, and they're probably in. But, you know, I don't expect them to make too much noise. It's the last year for Fran Dunphy, their head coach, very popular man in Philadelphia, went to Penn, coached at Penn, or I'm sorry, went to Temple, then he coached at Penn, and then he went back to his alma mater when John Chaney left uh, to take over Temple. Uh, this is his last year. He's retiring. So it'd be kind of nice from a sentimental point of view to see Temple get on a little bit of a roll in the tournament, maybe win a game, get to the 30. 32 or even get to the sweet 16, but uh, that's a tall task for them. But, you know, all eyes in Philly are on Nova and Temple. All right, guys, let's get the final word. We're talking with Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, our official NFL contributor, talking to NFL free agency, also talking to Brown superfan Adam Jevedin. We'll start with you, Ed. Uh, let's get some news from the, from the nest, if you will, the Eagles uh, free agency. What are your thoughts? From the nest. Yeah, I like that. Uh, uh, you know, um, <laughs> I, I like when, you know, you talked about the Colts, Tom, earlier and what uh, Ballard's doing. And, you know, I like when teams re-sign their own players that deserve it. Like in the Colts case, you know, they gave a new deal to Pierre Desir and Marcus Hunt. 
Um, you know, and then they didn't spend a lot in free agency. I like that approach. They have nine draft picks. The Eagles kind of did the same thing. They brought Jason Peters back on a cheaper deal, 37-year-old left tackle. I don't know what he has left. You could say that maybe they value uh, a relationship with him more off the field than they do on the field because, to me, Jason Peters, they should move on from him. But they gave him a smaller deal. He was due to make over $10 million. He renegotiated his deal. He's only going to make five and a half this year. He can get bonus money up to ten grand or $10 million if he – as well. So, you know, the Eagles, they signed Ronald Darby. He was one of their own players. They brought him back. They re-signed Brandon Graham, a uh, defensive end who made one of the best plays in organization history with that strip sack of Tom Brady in Super Bowl 52. Um, you know, that's a play that probably at the top of the list for Philly, maybe the Philly special when Nick Foles caught the touchdown pass in the Super Bowl right up there too. But, you know, the Eagles have brought back Graham, Darby, they, they renegotiated Peters. It wouldn't surprise me if after the draft they approached Darren Sproles and say, hey, do you want to give it one more shot? Let's see where Sproles, uh, you know, where he stands. Chris Long is a guy that could retire. He had five and a half sacks for him last year, but he's contemplating retirement. But, you know, I like when a team takes care of its own. If they deserve it, then they get the money. And the Eagles certainly have shown that. Um, they haven't done a whole lot in, in free agency. You know, they brought in the defensive tackle. Uh, I mentioned earlier, Malik Jackson. To replace Tim Jernigan, who they released, um, he had a back problem, um, you know, and they uh, brought in an under-the-radar linebacker in L.J. Fort. And of course, they traded for Deshaun Jackson, who was an original member of the Eagles back in 2008. He, co- he comes back. He said all the right things at a press conference this week about being a more mature person, a, a more of a leader. You know, when he was here, all he was worried about was his renegotiating his contract. He had a rap label that he was into. So, I mean, he had some other things. But now he's 32, family got two kids uh he wants to be a leader we'll see if that's not just lip service but again he was a former eagle that was drafted here and they're bringing him back makes sense for them they want to stretch the field with his def- uh, with his speed something they lacked last year so he'll be a, a huge help um the eagles really went heavy at receiver in terms of money they have alshon jeffrey P- uh, nelson Aguilar. they decided to pick up his option for nine and a half million and they're going to give deshaun jackson nine million so you know you're looking at three receivers uh, starting receivers who are very good, maybe the best in the NFC, uh, that, that those threesome, but you're, they're paying them $32 million. So that's a huge investment, and they still don't have a running back. Fans in Philly are crying about where's the running back, kind of like fans in Indianapolis are saying, how come we're not doing anything? But listen, mm-hmm. patience. You know, there's always a second and then the third wave uh, of free agency, and there's still good players out there, under-the-radar players, guys I mentioned earlier, that you can still find, and you can get them a little bit more cheaply. And that that's, to me, uh, where these GMs make their money. It's not the big splash names when you, you know, when the gate opens on free agency uh, where you make your bones. It's, it's this part of free agency now as we head into the second week uh, of free agency. Who's left? What are you, you going to negotiate their deal to be? So um, it's not over yet. Plenty of time left in free agency. And then, of course, you know, the draft comes up in like six weeks. So um, great time to be a fan of the NFL, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with what you say in the second and third wave. Uh, Budget players, if you will, you know, uh, you may have to bag your own groceries at Aldi's, but gosh dang it, they're cheap, right? Uh, Adam Jividen, our official. (laughs) No, I don't shop at Aldi's. I'm a bachelor, but I mean, I'm just making making the the reference. That's all. Uh, Adam Jividen, a super uh, Browns fan. Uh, Ohio State fan, what are your thoughts? What are the Browns looking for coming up in the draft in six weeks? Then we got to wrap it up, put a bow on it for today, guys. Go ahead, Adam. Uh, you know, I think I think for the draft, the Browns really don't have a lot of holes left. We need another outside linebacker. 
Um, since we traded Jabril Peppers in the Odell Beckham deal, um, we could use a safety uh, player like a Deontay Thompson from, from Alabama uh, comes to mind. Um, and and they, they could use another corner um, to, to match up alongside Denzel Ward. But, I mean, that's, they still have eight draft picks, and I don't even think John Dorsey uses all of them. I, I would not be surprised to see him either trade up or trade out of certain picks to, to accumulate more assets for, for coming seasons. But uh, the, the, the Browns team at this point, their, their number one focus is how do we gel um, in the offseason, even ahead of OTAs. Uh, I know Baker's out in L.A. with, uh, with Odell and Landry um, and Njoku and, and a lot of our offensive unit. And then Miles Garrett has a large contingent working out on the defense down, um, down in Texas. So I, I think that's the biggest thing is, is that how do we gel as a unit? Because I think where a lot of these super teams, quote-unquote super teams, have fallen apart is it's a large collection of individuals that, that don't really gel as a unit. And, and a lot of that's going to be up to um, Baker as the leader of the team at, at, at the quarterback position as well as new head coach Freddie Kitchens. Um, but, but Kitchens brought in a, a very senior um, the rest of the staff with uh, – with Steve Wilkes and, and Todd Monken um, as the uh, offensive and defensive coordinators. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that's the thing is for the Browns. It's, it's how do we, how do we come together? We went seven, eight and one last year. Uh, how do you, how do you flip some of those games that, that possibly should have been wins and turn that into 10, 11 or 12 wins? That's really the focus and, and just continuing, continuing the trend. Yeah. We made the, the biggest flash of the entire offseason likely um, in the Odell Beckham deal, but how do we how do we take that and and make this something that we can build on for the next four or five ten years? That's that's the goal. That's the goal in Berea. It's not we don't want to be a one year um, revelation and then and then be done. Adam, we appreciate you joining us. I think you're after Ed and I's job as a beat writer. I'm not sure, but uh, great job. Thanks for joining us, uh, Adam, and we look forward to seeing what the Browns do in 2019. Absolutely. You know, you can always, uh, I'm always available to come on, Tom. All right, buddy. And that's not exactly true right, because good. I've invited you on before and you've said, oh, i got something going on. That, but, okay. That's true. <laughs> I'm on as often as I can. <laughs> All right, buddy. We'll talk with you soon. Thanks, Tom. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, our official uh, NFL contributor. Uh, can you tell that he's a Browns fan? Did he did he give it away, Ed? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I couldn't tell at all. He's, hopefully, he's going to catch up on sleep now. <laughs> that, that's uh, right. Yeah, I can't blame him. It, I can't blame him for being so. Yeah, I can't blame him for exciting. being so. So, where where can people find your work in your masterpieces, sir? Uh, you can hit me on Twitter at Kratzy K R A C Z E. Uh, you can find me there. I post everything you need, or you can hit my website, uh, footballmaven.io slash eagles, and you can see my work there with pictures and video. All right. Sounds good. You got any of those cute little kitten or puppy videos? No? Okay. <laughs> I do not. I, I don't, I'm not part of the animal kingdom, you know. <laughs> I don't post those. So just for just NFL stuff, that's all you need to know. All right, buddy. We'll talk with you soon. Have yourself a good weekend, sir. All right. Thanks, Tom. You do the same. All righty. Well, guys, we're going to have to wrap it up. Put a bow on it. My name is Tom Marcosell Presidente. Thank you so much to Mo from the BS Sports Show. 
who joined us uh, for a brief 15-minute window to talk with us about Bracketology Selection Sunday. What's going on? Who's going to get in? Who's going to get out? I'm still holding out faith for my Indiana Hoosiers. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Matthew Embry, WSPT up in South Bend, joined us to talk some, again, March Madness, duh, and IndyCar. Of course, he's our official IndyCar contributor. Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor, just got off with um, Adam Jividen, a super Browns fan. And believe me, uh, as you can tell by hearing his voice, he is a super fan. And, of course, Ed Gratz, official uh, NFL contributor and beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, joined us. Guys, my name is Tom Mark with Sal Presidente. We do this thing called The Balance every Saturday morning. Don't forget to download the podcast because we like you when you do stuff like that. My name's Sal Marquis, and just remember to follow us on our social uh, <laughs> on our social media. And I can't find my buttons. Can never find my buttons. I'm out of here. Don't drink a drive. It's not cool. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.